1953, a fledgling company called the Rocket Chemical Company and its staff of just three people created a line of rust prevention solvents and degreasers to use in the aerospace industry. They used them on rockets and things that they were trying to, to work out, and, and they worked in a small lab in San Diego, California. And it took them many attempts. They struggled with just the right formula, and, and they struggled and struggled, and, and, but they kept failing to get the water displacement formula worked out. And so they started to just number them as they failed. And it was water displacement number one, and then number two, and, and two turned into three, turned into five, turned into 10, turned into 15, turned into 20, turned into 25. They kept failing. But as they failed, they just kept learning and they kept pressing in and they kept going. And it turned into 30, 35. And eventually, eventually they got it worked out. And it turned out to be really good because the secret formula for water displacement number 40 is what we call WD-40 today. And it's so popular that it is in four out of five homes in use today. But their persistence and failure is a part of life. You know, success is worth it, but what about the failures one through 39? What if they would have given up at number 10 or 15 or even 20 and said, it's not worth it, I'm just gonna stop? What if they had have given up on number 38 and said, yeah, but the next one won't be a success either? And they were right. It wasn't. 39 didn't work either. It wasn't until 40 that they got it right. You see, if we want to change, then we have to keep trying. And that's true in all of life. We have this saying, no pain, no gain. I'm sure you've heard it said whenever you're trying to work out or work through something. This phrase stresses the idea that growth comes about painfully through hard work and sacrifice. And this is true in physical growth, but the same can be said about growing as a Christian. Relearning how to work, or how to walk, sorry, uh, can be a really hard thing. And it's not only physically painful, but it can also be mentally arduous. Now, I love to run, but I don't think about how I run. I don't think about how my legs work. But anybody who's ever been through a really tragic accident knows that it is just, the physical therapy is, is a struggle. And it's relearning something that they already knew. Learning and growth takes time and effort. And we all have areas in our life, I know I do, where I struggle to learn and to grow. And maybe you're there this morning. This morning, you, you, maybe you're sitting here thinking about all the ways in which you could be different or better or more like someone else or more like that Instagram post or more like those Facebook pictures which are your own, which aren't your own real life. But oftentimes, this is just guilt and shame talking. But sometimes, sometimes it's more than just guilt and shame. Sometimes that inner voice is the voice of reality, telling us that what the doctor said was real. And we do have to start making changes. Or maybe it's changing a habit that you know that is bad for you. I really need to stop swearing under my breath. I really need to stop procrastinating at work. I really need to stop spending money that I don't have on my credit cards. 
You see, the Christian life is all about changing our lives to reflect more of Jesus through the process of a fancy word called sanctification. Now, that's just a big word that simply means that when you look at a Christian, you should be able to see Christ and that we are being changed slowly over time through a process. That, that doesn't mean that Christians are perfect, but that you should be able to see them growing and reflecting the grace of God. And this is not pulling ourselves up by my own bootstraps, but, but rather allowing God to work in us, in me, and to change me from the inside out. Do we like growth and change when it's painful? Most of us would say, nope. Psychologist Jennifer Kunst describes why we are sometimes cautious of change and growth. You see, the first way of approaching life is by avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. And this is the most basic human instinct. Every baby born has this basic human instinct. It's, it's a very simple system, and it works like this. If it feels good, then eat it. Take it. Do it. It's mine. But if it feels bad, spit it out, get rid of it, avoid it, and say no. However, she goes on, this psychologist goes on to encourage us to a different way of living. One that is more mature, that is described, she describes it as mental muscle. What is mental muscle? Mental muscle is about a more mature way of living. It's developing the strength to live by the principles of reality, where we desire to do what is right, even if it is hard or it costs us something. We so often default to this instant gratification, but mental muscle reminds us to choose what is best, not just for the moment, but for the long haul, for life, or as the Bible says, for all of eternity. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it is always the right time to do the right thing. He's talking about justice and about living a different way of life, but mental muscle is, is simply the ability to do what we know is right. And scripture is full of wisdom about how and why this is so important. So this morning, we're going to dig into Paul's letter to the Romans. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. It'll be right here on the screen. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now this passage is, is packed full of meaning and beauty, but I want us to see three things this morning. And first, Paul starts off with a negative. He says, do not. He wants to grab our attention and he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You see, our world has this warped way of thinking. Our world is following this basic human desire. It's this humanistic desire to, to seek pleasure and to avoid pain at all costs. And it just, but this is a recipe for disaster. Following the path of least resistance leads to brokenness, addiction, financial and relational ruin, and it's sin, and it ultimately leads to death, and we've all experienced it. The Bible says, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
Now we could stop here this morning and we could just talk for an hour about all the stories of people that we know that we have, who have lived this way and have made a mess of their lives. Or if we were honest, we could hold up a mirror and we could talk about all the times where I have made mistakes or maybe you have made mistakes living this way. You see, Paul is offering us a moment of sober wisdom to stop following the crowd. And so he says, don't do this. But then he, he holds up a picture where, where Paul states the second, where he, he states the positive and he says, do this. He says, be transformed. This transformation starts with an instant work of grace when we become Christians. And this is the first step. It, it may have taken us a long time to come to that point to simply say, God, I believe in you. I surrender my life to you. My life wouldn't be possible without you without your grace and forgiveness in my life. This is the free gift of salvation that God gave us through Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and this is an instant work that, that is one, one act sets in motion God's love and grace, which comes cascading into our lives. And this is the moment when our hearts were first transformed. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. But there's this crazy thing that is happening here in this passage. The, the Bible was originally written in Greek, and the Greek language has some uniquenesses, some nuances. And here the phrase in Greek is, be transformed. And I want us to see a couple of things real quickly here. And the first is, the be transformed is actually passive, which means that, that it's something that is happening to us. God is the active agent transforming us through the power of his Holy Spirit, through his love and his grace. We are simply receiving it and allowing him to work in us. Second, the phrase is actually in the past. It's saying that the moment we were saved, we were transformed. When we first believed, but there, there's another piece to this, is, and this is where the uniqueness comes in, is that this phrase actually means be being transformed. And, and that is, it's, it happened in the past, but it's an ongoing work in our lives. It's not done yet. The transformation is still at work. So it is both an instant thing that happened and a slow ongoing work. And this slow, ongoing work of grace is, is something deep that is happening, that is moving in us. God has given us all the grace that you and I will ever need. But every day, we still need to live it out, to rest in it, to abide in it. Let me give you a quick analogy. It's, it's like being stuck in poverty and then winning millions of dollars in the lottery. I just saw somebody in the news want a billion dollars. Think about that. And then all of that money being deposited into your bank account. And so our bank account says that we aren't broke, but now we have to start living like it. We actually have to move out of the slums where we have been stuck in and live in the fullness. You see, God wants to do something big and beautiful in you and I today but it's something that we have to be willing to walk into and to step into. 
You see, I realize that walking in grace isn't always easy. It often takes daily surrender. In recovery, we say, one day at a time. You've been set free, but you still have to walk it out. Change takes spiritual discipline and developing the mental muscle because this practice includes focusing on ourselves and not judging anyone else and, and working on the inside, what's inside of me, what's really motivating me and moving forward because it's, it happens in an instant, but it's an ongoing process of walking with Jesus. But there's a third thing I want us to see here from Romans chapter 12. You see, finally, in Romans chapter 12, Paul states that this transformation that's happening in us is worship. Wait, that's crazy. You mean my life being transformed is actually worship to God? It is. Paul encourages believers by saying to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this image is an image of sacrifice, which relates back to the Old Testament practice of offering animal sacrifices as worship to God. And Paul is saying that the life of the believer is a living sacrifice, one that is set apart, that's the word holy, for God. And it's this constant worship to God as people see this transformed life. And this happens by the renewing of the believer. As we allow God's Holy Spirit to, to live and breathe and move inside of each and every one of us, Paul is saying that, that we continue to be transformed. And then Paul moves on by continuing in chapter 12. And we won't read all of this, but he, but he says that, that as we do this, it creates a unity in believers in verses four and five, and, and that this transformation means that, that we begin to show love to everyone around us, including and especially those who persecute us in verse 14. That is a transformed life. The Bible says it's easy to love those who love me, but a transformed life means that we begin to love everyone. You see, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That is utter in true transformation. When we find our joy in Him, we begin to be transformed and that becomes worship to God. When we find our worth and our identity in Him, that transformation begins to just overflow and we become a mirror that reflects His beauty. When our lives reflect Him in this world, that is worship. Our lives are not pointing to us in some sort of prideful way of, of, look at me, look at me. But our lives begin to point to something that is greater, saying, look at what God has done. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he's calling us to do. But the problem is, the heart of transformation is often slow. It's a slow work, and, and we often fall down, and we make mistakes, and it, it, it's usually other people that often see the transformation in us first, and we don't see it in ourselves. And, and you may be sitting there thinking, this is well and good, but, but you don't know me. I fail so often. I get angry at my coworkers. I blow up at my kids. I get frustrated. And, and I don't even know if God is up to something in my life. I'm so frustrated. And that guilt and that shame come crashing down in on me. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you to get up again. You may have fallen. I may have messed up. But let's get up. Let's resolve to not stay down. Sometimes when we fall down, we just say, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to make my bed here. And I'm just, this is just my lot in life. Woe is me. Here I am. I'm just going to stay here. No, let's resolve to get back up again. I get back up again and let's walk it out over and over and over again. You see, there's age old wisdom that says, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving isn't for you. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe I got that wrong. For everything else in life, failure is a part of learning. But if first you don't succeed, I think the wisdom says, try, try again. That's the one. You see, we've got to try again. You see, we have to resolve to learn. One of my favorite pastors used to say, you haven't failed, you've learned. So as long as you've learned, you're growing. That's part of living. And we only fail when we fail to learn. And so let's, let's press in and say, God, help to teach me. I want, I want to get up again. I want to keep moving forward. I'm not going to be burdened down by all of these mistakes. I want to press into you. But you see, I look at my own life, and I think the number one reason that I, that I think we hate change is it often requires us to feel stupid in the process. In the very beginning, we have to admit that we don't understand. And it often requires us to fail as we learn. And I hate feeling stupid and I hate failing. But it's a part of learning. Let me give you a quick example. A couple months ago, my dad came to visit us and right after he got here, our garage door broke. I was super frustrated. The spring just snapped and, and I called around to a couple of people to come out and fix it and they quoted me this price and I was like, man, that's really expensive. I don't have that kind of money. And so I began to look and I realized that fixing these things can be potentially dangerous and so it required learning. And my dad and I had neither of us ever changed a garage door spring and, and, and so we began to learn. Now, part of the challenge is my dad and I learn differently. So I pulled up YouTube and he's like reading articles and we have a different way of approaching things, but, but we began to figure it out together. And it's often easier just to pay somebody else to do it, but it was expensive. And so we failed and we learned and we failed and we went to Home Depot a lot and we learned and we kept pressing in and eventually in the end, we figured it out and we did it and we learned something new. Now, you may say, it's just easier to simply do things the way that which we've always done them or to, to let the broken thing just lie or to just let it go. But that doesn't, because it doesn't require us to learn, but, but there's a cost to staying the same. And when we stay the same, we slowly begin to fall behind. And we get discouraged and we give up and, and maybe you're like WD-40 at number 25 and you, and you just say, I'm done. I give up. And we, and we give up at 25 or 34 and we quit. But that means that we lose out on the new thing, the breakthrough that was just ahead of us. And more importantly, in the spiritual life, that means that we miss out on that thing that God is up to that breakthrough on the other side of those prayers, that breakthrough on the other side of that change in my heart that God wants to do. So how do we change? We change through things called spiritual disciplines. 
Now, some people like to call them spiritual practices or spiritual habits, but this is one of the ways that Christians can grow in Christ is to cultivate these spiritual practices. Practices like prayer, fasting, service, study, reading God's word, and meditation. These are just a few of the practices, and there's many practices that Christians have used for centuries to cultivate spiritual growth. Theologian Richard Foster describes the importance of these disciplines by saying, These practices do not earn us favor with God or measure our spiritual success. They are exercises which equip us to live fully and freely in the present reality of God. And God works with us, giving us grace as we learn and grow. I love that. They equip us to live fully and freely in the present reality of God. I need that in my life. But it requires sometimes work in my life to have that mental muscle to press in, to say, God, I want to seek you in the morning. Or God, I want to reflect with you at the end of the day. Or God, I want to be in your word and allow it to soak and transform me slowly over time. So as I close this morning, I want to leave you with a challenge, a question, and a story. First, question. And the first question is a simple one, and it's this. Do you want to grow? Or have you been so beaten up and beaten down that you've given up and we just say, this is my lot in life. I just want to stay here. And this isn't to, to, to cast guilt, but, but, but that question leads me to the next question, which is this. Will you allow God to work in your life this week? I believe that God is pursuing us and seeking each and every one of us and seeking our heart and saying, I want to do something new in you. You're on the edge of a breakthrough. And so the question is this, will you allow God to work in your life this week? And then the challenge, the challenge is to this, is to keep growing. Just like the Rocket Chemical Company, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. I can repeat that 40 times. Don't give up until you succeed. Even if you fail, just keep learning and keep saying this phrase, I haven't failed, I've learned. Maybe you want to take that and put it somewhere, write it down, put it on your mirror, remind yourselves, I haven't failed, I've learned. Just keep learning. And then ask, your question, ask the question at the end of the day, God, what are you teaching me today? God, what are you teaching me? As I'm learning, as I'm growing, what are you teaching me? Because you'll be surprised what God may reveal to you. And so together, let's keep failing. Let's keep falling. Let's keep pressing in because as we do, we're gonna fall fully into the arms of grace. They are wide open, waiting to embrace you and me. And as long as we keep relying on him, we will be transformed. We were in the past and it'll be this ongoing work, this slow work of God moving and changing us from the inside out by the renewing of our whole being, mind, body, and soul. Now, I wanna close with this thought. Imagine if we all decided to take this seriously this week and this year, to truly walk in the grace of God and, and to stop procrastinating and to allow ourselves to change and to grow. Imagine how our lives, my life, will be different and how it would be worship to God this pleasing aroma just coming up to him of God just 
basking in the glory of our transformed hearts. You see, the change in our lives, pointing to something bigger, something beautiful, something bigger than any of us would ever have imagined, something that would blow us all away. Now, I said I wanted to close with a story, and, and the story is this. A, a couple uh, weeks ago, right before Christmas, Jen and I took Catherine down to Logan's Candies. Now, if you've never been to Logan's Candies, it's in downtown Ontario, and it's a family-owned business. It's been there for decades, and they make their own candy from scratch and right in front of you, and they make all kinds of candies and ribbon candies and fun things, but at Christmas time. At Christmas time, they make candy canes and they pull out the candy slow and they make their white candy and the, the red candy and then they begin to, to pull it together into, into long spears and, and then they form it as it's still warm. And, and then if you stay for the demonstration, it's awesome. It's so cool. They're Christians and they tell you the story of the gospel right there through the power of a candy cane. It's so cool. But then at the end, if you stick around, they'll give you a warm piece of candy cane and you can either make it into a candy cane or they'll show you how to make it into a heart. And so there I am, we stayed through the whole thing and I'm there with Catherine and, and in wide-eyed wonder, she's just staring at me as I get this warm piece of, of candy and I begin to form it into a heart. But in childlike wonder that couldn't be contained, her eyes light up and she begins to point and she begins to yell, look it, look it so loud that everybody in the whole store begins to look at, at Catherine and she looks at me and wide-eyed wonder and she says, look it, look it, a heart, a heart. Brothers and sisters, a transformed heart is still the greatest testimony and worship that God could ever ask for. We, we should all be shouting, look it, look it. Look at what God is doing. As one of your pastors, I so often just want to jump up and, and tell stories of what God is doing in and through each and one of every one of us. I get a front row seat to see the, the transformation in your lives. And I just want to yell, look it, look it. God is up to something, shaping and transforming a heart. Sometimes instantly sometimes slowly, sometimes painfully, but always something beautiful. And so this week, let's look to God and say, God, here is my life. Will you work? Will you begin to shape it in the fire and make it something beautiful? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for sending your son to come and to die on the cross for us to begin that instant and slow work of transformation in our lives. God, so often we fail and we fall and we find ourselves broken before you. And God, I pray that this morning you would pick us up and love us and remind us of your grace that says you haven't failed, you've learned. Come, experience my grace and allow your life to grow and to be transformed. And so God, we give you our lives May it be worship to you to the point where other people would just simply say, look it, look it, a heart. God, thank you for what you are doing in my life today. Thank you for doing what you're doing in each one of our lives today. May it be a sweet 
smelling aroma to you. We give it to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. May you go and walk in the grace and the love of God. Have a great week. Bye.